Hey, this is Dan and Chris with the Mar- Miles of the Merrimack podcast. Today we are lucky enough to have John Parkhurst here with us. Uh, John is an accomplished charter captain out of the Merrimack River. Uh, he is known for his ground fishing skills. Not only that, he is also known for his inshore fishing skills. So thanks very much for being here today, John. Thank you, guys. How you doing? What are you, you getting ready? I'm getting ready, yeah. Um, you know, obviously with the warm weather that we've had, uh, it's starting to make me think about pulling the boat out of the backyard and getting things ready. So uh, bottom paint, you know, fixing things and uh, getting things ready. Uh, sent everything out to Shimano to have them uh, service everything. So everything came back really cool. So Awesome. I got to say, John, the first the first time I I didn't even realize it was you on the water, but your boat caught my eye. That is a sexy, sexy battle wagon you got there. What? Yeah, it was a pretty cool thing. You know, I went to the boat show back, I don't know, probably 2013, 2014, and really fell in love with the Steiger craft. And, you know, I'd seen Parkers uh, everywhere uh, up in our area. And, you know, I never really even knew about a Steiger craft until I went to the boat show. And I got to talk to Al Steiger and... Um, he just went over the whole thing and how it's composite and lasts forever. And, you know, when you call the factory, you talk to him directly. And, you know, I kind of fell in love with the customer service and the approach and just got lucky. And he called me and said, hey, there's a boat for sale. It's got 20 hours on it. The guy can't park it on a dock. And I'm like, cool, I can. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, you know, made a deal with that guy and it's all history. You know, was lobstering at first, um, realized that. That was awful um, and tortured my boat. And uh, I saw, you know, guys that I had met on the water doing the chartering thing and just decided that was the avenue I wanted to go. So I got my captain's license and uh, went from there and thought I was going to hopefully get 10 charters and joined uh, the association, the Northeast Charter Boat Captains Association, and met Chris and uh, then obviously met you. And, um, it was pretty uh, fast and furious how many charters I got the first year. And next thing you know, I, you build a little bit of a name for yourself and boom, you, you got too many. You're saying no. Uh, and that's a pretty good feeling to get from hoping to get 10 to having to say, I can't do it. I'm too tired. <laughs> it's just too many trips. Yeah. Yeah. I do have to say whenever we're like playing bumper boats on the river, it does look like everyone's always having a good time on Parker's charters. <laughs> yeah. Um, we keep it pretty lighthearted. Um, you know, inappropriate jokes are welcome. Uh, on <laughs> and attire. And attire. Yeah. There's been some interesting choice of uh, man wear. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we definitely keep it pretty light. Uh, you know, we have a good time. We work really hard to catch fish, but the, the true thing is, is like, I hate golf, so I love fishing and, you know, busting each other's balls, having a good time doing it. You know, we're, you know, everybody becomes like a friend after a while, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty funny within about an hour, everybody loosens up, even if I've never met him before. And it's just kind of a cool experience that you see that and, you know get to be a part of their trip. You know, some people have different, you know, financial situations. So this is their big thing for the year. So that's kind of really cool to be a part of that and be a part of those family memories and stuff like that. Absolutely. So, and you're able to fit full full six six people on the boat? Yeah. I mean, I prefer four um, just because I'm all by myself. I don't bring a mate. Um, four is ideal, but I've, I've, you know, I've taken six. You know, it just depends on the experience, the size of the people too sometimes, you know. Um, you get a whole bunch of big people. It can be very, very crowded and, you know, everybody's got to take their turn, but, uh, yeah, I like four and, you know, sometimes I'll squeeze in the fifth or sixth when needed. All right. So like when it comes to fishing, like Chris and I, we both been fishing our whole entire lives. Like it's always been a, we had a, like a little competition between the two of us when we were younger and, you know, the love translated into fishing in the ocean and, you know, Chris took it to the captain level. Like 
you don't just say I'm going to be a charter captain. You know, there's something that 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 gets you there. Like what what was it in, in the fishing? Did you grow up doing this stuff or? Um. So what happened was as a as a kid, um, I was raised by a family that hunted and fished. So my grandfather was really more of the angler. My father, you know, he, he went out and fished, but he mostly fished freshwater. My grandfather tortured him actually in the mouth of the Merrimack when he was like probably 19 or 20. He threw up all day and my grandfather wouldn't go in and he hates the ocean now. So uh, my grandfather uh, and grandmother would go down to Naples, Florida. There were snowbirds. So we would go down, you know, right around Christmas time to go spend some time with them. And he had a boat right on the canal system there. And he would take us out catching snook and trying to, you know, chase tarpon and do all that stuff. So I fell in love with fishing from freshwater bass fishing. And I was a weird kid. I was nine years old learning how to fly fish. So John, you're a weird adult. I'm a weird adult (laughs) as well. Um, but no, we, we had a camp, um, we had a campsite up at a campground in, uh, Otter Creek, Vermont, uh, right along the, uh, the Otter Creek. And I saw these, you know, old guys fly fishing and it looked cool and they'd catch rainbows and I wanted to learn how to do it, so you know, I think for Christmas or something like that, I asked for a fly rod, and I uh, went out there, and guys just took to it that this young guy was learning how to fly fish. So next thing you know, I was fly fishing, and um, they were hooking me up with gear, and that, I didn't know half of it. Some guy ended up giving me a Gary Loomis uh, fly rod, which is a you know really really it's nice, a beautiful rod, beautiful beautiful rod. So. You know, then I had the good equipment. I was, you know, rocking an Orvis jacket and, you know, swinging a Gary Loomis fly rod and a metalist reel, and I thought I was king shit, you know? Um, Along on the cover of an LLB Pretty much, but I was like 11, you know? (laughs) So Chelmsford uh, High School actually offered this fly tying class, so I actually took it with one of my father's friends, and we learned how to tie flies, so then I got into that. And when I could finally drive, you know, I was driving down to the beach as much as I could to go uh, surf fishing. And uh, <laughs> it was such a learning curve because, like, here I was, I was doing really well in the river trout fishing, and I sucked at striper fishing from the beach at first. I was like, this is a waste of time. This is how you get just, you know, eaten alive by bugs and, you know, hate yourself and wait for Christie's Pizza. <laughs> um, so then, um, you know, Finally, I got half decent at it where I could actually consistently catch fish from the beach. So I was like, okay. And then when I got older, I bought my first Lund. Uh, It was a 20-foot Alaskan boat, and I got a lobster, um, hunter trap lobster permit. And I was like, I just wanted to be able to sell some of them. And then some guy gave me like 40 traps because he just wanted them out of his backyard. So I rebuilt them all. So the next thing you know, I'm hand pulling like 40, 50 traps every day. And and then I'm lobstering and and the striper fishing stuff. And I got good at that and just started watching other, you know, people and asking questions about how to, you know, catch bait and keep them alive and, and things like that. And I had one of those seasons where I just lit it up on Joppa and I fell in love with it. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to spend more time on the salt and less time on uh, freshwater. So took a wave over the back of that Lund off a of boar's head and almost sunk the boat and uh, kind of scared the crap out of me. And I said, I need to have a closed transom boat. And that's when we started going to the boat show, um, looking at boats. And that's when I fell in love with the, the uh, Steiger craft that I have now. So It's a 25, right? Steiger. Yeah, they call it a 25.5 Miami. So it has the open back, not the Chesapeake, which has the closed back and usually has a second station. You're talking about like the pilot house closed back, not so much the transom, correct? 
Yes, yeah. yes. The pilot house um, is actually open on a Miami um, versus uh, the Chesapeake, which is, has a hard back on that. Um, so what do they have, like a door? Yeah, they have a little door. And, and uh, I actually – it makes the boat feel bigger, I feel, with the uh, the open Miami and, you know – I'm not putting heaters in there and running it into December. I mean, obviously, I could put the curtains up and do that, but it's just not my cup of tea. It's time to go deer hunting. So you predominantly got into the charter business as uh, for haddock, haddock and cod fishing, right? No. Um, right off the bat was um, striper um, and uh, lobster cruises. Lobster cruises? Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. What's a lot? Wait, is that like how you get people to come and pull your traps for you? Yeah. And they pay you to do yeah, it? Yeah, and uh, not many people did. Uh, so... So I was lobstering, and, like, at this point, I had met Chris and a couple of the other captains uh, on the river, and, you know, I'm hearing them just slaying fish, and I'm sitting there pulling these damn traps, just hating life and beating the crap out of my body. And and at that point, I had had uh, my daughter, and it was, like, it was just too much of a burden to take all the traps and and fix them every winter, and it's just time-consuming, and I wasn't making hardly any money doing it to even offset the cost of... Yeah, I mean, time is money, too. Time, so. yeah. Yep. So I'm sitting there, like, doing the math. I'm like, I'm making, like, 10 bucks an hour. I'm working at McDonald's. You got that custom Davit built, too. I did. I, I spent a ton of money into doing How it. How much of that? That was a lot. That's a so, beefy thing. So, yeah, yeah. So the Electrodyne hauler, I want to say, was... Oh, God. It was probably a $2,000 investment in the boat between the welding, the bracket, and then the actual hauler and the wire. And, you know, you don't expect a lot of things. But, like, wire was super expensive because it's such a heavy-gauge wire. So it was like a couple hundred bucks in just wire and switches and panels and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's a really great anchor lifter now. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't even put it on the boat because it's just a pain in the ass there. But, um, yeah, so I finally got to the point where – like I said, that first year where I was chartering, I was hoping to make, you know, do 10 trips and I did like 28 or something like that. So I was like, oh my God. So like, uh, way better than I hoped for. And, uh, I don't need to do the lobstering. So I sold all my gear for lobstering. And, uh, it's interesting when you sell gear too, you make those connections, not just on the water. Like when you sell gear to people, you know, all of a sudden you create that connection. I'm friends with the guys that I sold lobster traps to, um and stay in touch with them so it's uh a transition from from that to just chartering and it was strictly striper at first maybe year or two and then i think i just said that's it i'm gonna go try it and um i went out haddock fishing and it was like the real big turn of haddock fishing got hot and I was just, I, I landed on it, you know, and I, I got lucky to be like, every time I go out, we'd, we'd kill it. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just dropping weight with clams on it, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's working. Um, so I got lucky with that. And then Chris kind of introduced me to sharking. I had done some sharking uh, here and there, but not to that extent. So we went out and we just, uh, we fought a poor beagle for like 30 minutes on a haddock rod. Can I tell that story? Yeah, go for it. So it was the first trip of the season, I believe, yeah. right? And I think then it was May 15th. It was around May because for a couple of years, it used to be April. Then for a few years, they punched everything to May. And I'm sitting there, you know, and my white whale right now is a poor beagle. Yeah. Like we've come so close so many times and they're just incredibly <laughs> hard to hook. 
And I remember talking to John like the night before. I'm like, hey, are we going to stick out a poor beagle line? I'm like, I, I want to try this one particular spot based on like things that have happened, things that I know and stuff like that. So we get out there. We stop short and just stop pounding Haddock real quick. And uh, we decided just to make a little move, go to where, you know, we originally had a plan a few more miles east. I'll never forget it. I'm sitting there. I'm excited. I'm like, this is going to be the one, you know. And I'm like, all right, you guys drop down your rods. Get me a haddock. I'm going to get a, a shock rod ready. Right away, uh, one of the guys on the boat, uh, what was your buddy's name? That was out with us that day? That was Mike. Mike. So Mike Mike has a haddock, and I'm sitting there with the hook in my hand, like all ready to go. All right, get this sucker up. As he's reeling up, about halfway up, his rod just doubles over. And I'm like, no, no, we're so close. And we actually fought him for a while. Yeah, we probably did. a good 15 minutes yeah. or so on the haddock rod. That was your old pen slammer, like those old fiberglass, like Dick Sporting Goods style. Yeah, the, actually, those were chaos um, spinning rods that I turned over and put a uh, pen uh, 330 GT on it. it was, yeah. yeah, with a level wine. What a disaster of a reel. Um, yeah, I basically broke all level the level wines. I broke the level wines right out of him and made him convention, just standard conventionals. But uh, actually, they were catching bluefish last year, same rods. There you go. Yeah, because we were trolling, and I was like, oh, it's a heavy backbone rod. It's a good one to pull you know, plugs and stuff like that. So what do you use for reels now? Uh, so for all my haddock um, rods, I was um, using the... Um, uh, what's the uh, what's the company there uh, that makes the uh, acid wrap rods there? Uh, Jigging World. Jigging World, yeah. So I was using the Jigging World. They were the the model was Blackhawk, and it was a six foot ten rod, like medium heavy. The thing that I found was like, yeah, when people know what the what's going on, they don't have an issue with it. What happens is you reeling up, especially when you catch like a cod, you know, something that weighs north of ten pounds. You catch a cod, people think that they can lift that fish with the rod into the boat. And what happens is with the acid wrap rods that how they design them, they make them really sensitive at the tip. You break about 16 inches off of the tip of the rod. So, you know, with that acid wrap, if I'm going to probably have customers using those types of rods, you know, there's probably rods like ugly sticks and things like that that are a little bit better suited for customers because they're just they're trying to lift fish into the boat with the rod instead of reaching over and grabbing the leader. That reminds me of that. Uh, I think it's like in the South Pacific when the tuna fishing and they're all pulling in the tuna yes. into the boat. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, that's when you're on the party boats. You know, you can't get down there unless it's a definite gaffable fish. Yeah, you get to lift and swing it in. So now when you're on our private boats and it's not so high, you can still swing them in, but. It, it has to be a one-step movement. It has to be a smooth movement. It yes. can't be a bounce. You can't go too high. There's definitely yeah. like a breaking point you can yes. lift past. If they high stick it, they'll snap them. And then if you're using those expensive graphite blanks like Jigging World, yeah. Black Hole, you know, I got a couple too. Like I always get like my heart starts beating when people yeah. want to lift it. So I switched to ugly sticks for half of my charter rods. I got two ugly sticks and I get two like OTI jigging rods. And yeah. don't, I think that ugly sticks, you know, they're a very serviceable rod too, you know, that it's nice and durable. Yeah. You know, and if, if someone isn't isn't fishing every day, they're, ne they're never going to notice the difference. The kind of happy medium that I found was the Shimano, um, is it the Travala or the, what's the one that's kind of the lower end one, not the real fancy one? It's the Travala, like the jigging rod and the Talus is a good one Talus too. Is, Talus yeah. is a little bit stiffer, a yeah. little bit more of like your traditional <clears throat> rod blank with a Travalo is more like your speed jigging parabolic Yeah, and you can thing. buy one of those for like uh, probably about 100, 100, yeah. 150 bucks I think right now for, for that kind of real uh, rod setup. 
Um, I think the ones with like the aluminum uh, reel seats and stuff like that, they get up into the 250 range. Yeah, you don't need an aluminum reel seat for haddock fishing. No, first no. of all, it's bulky, it's cold. No, just get your graphite reel seat. Actually, I think I use graphite reel. Were you using a pipe clamp on yours? Oh yeah, I actually had a. No, so <laughs> I've upgraded. I didn't when I built the the, the slow pitch the black hole Cape Cod. I didn't uh, put a reel seat on it, and I was using um, a tube clamp, a <laughs> simple like screw down tube clamp, but. That was bothering my fingers a little bit, so now we're just straight up zip tied. <laughs> He's upgraded with your with your five hundred dollar yeah, accurate on there. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's an accurate BV three hundred. That's yeah. it's an awesome little reel. Does not have a clicker though. It's the only downfall. Yeah. but that that I will never put it down. It's just you know it's a rod that I'll always be holding. Uh, but I love it, you know. And I I was a little I should have put a reel seat on the blank, and I didn't because I did this thing with like I put a golf grip for for the grip. And then um, I did. I wrapped the handle, and I was just like, "Oh!" And then I was reading about how old timers would literally use electrical tape to put their reels on their rods. And I'm like, "I guess I really don't need all that much to keep this thing on there." And the zip ties have actually worked great, and it's nice because I can move the reel back and forth to wherever I want it. Nice. Yeah. So for all my reels, I've used um, like I, I was using the uh, Pen 330 GTS. Um, but they're just too bulky and heavy, and they were a pain. And those are always kind of like a charter boat staple up and down the coast for that kind of fish. They those were in the Pen 113s. Yeah, I'm. You know, now with Pen, you know, some of that stuff being made overseas, the quality has definitely gone down, in my opinion. But like, you got like the Pen uh, American made 113. Uh, they call it like it used to be the Baja, so the narrow. Uh, version of that 113. That thing is bulletproof. What is it called now? It's called something. It's just called the 113 it's, Narrow. It's called the 113 UN. Yeah. yeah. Those uh, are good US, USN. USN, that's it. Yeah. So um, that one, you know, we got guys that um, commercial rod and reel fish, and they love those reels. They're like, they just beat the crap out of them, and they're pulling up two Pollock, three Pollock at a time. And they're nice and fast too, right? Uh, they're a little bit faster than the traditional Senator. Um, I think a senator was like a one to three. This is like a one to four point five ratio. So they still get the torque, but they don't have crazy like six or or seven to one ratios like some of the avids and things like that. Mm-hmm. Which you don't want. You don't no, want in haddock reel, especially with inexperienced anglers. You know, you got to tell them to stop pumping. You know, they pump these rods. Oh yeah, that's when you lose it. That's when you lose a haddock. You lose them. You know, these haddock have really soft lips, and you're pulling hooks. Um, and I just tell people, I'm like, coffee grind it, just stick it underneath your armpit and just slowly reel it up and just keep that rod tip bent. And when you see it, you know, yell color and I'll come over and grab the leader. And that's how I've been saving some of my rods is that I have to land a lot of fish until they can, you know, understand that, you know, leave a little bit of room so you can reach down and grab that swivel right at the, uh, the, uh, high low rig and pull it into the boat and hopefully not smash that 16 uh, ounce, uh, bank sinker up against my beautiful stagger craft. Well, that happens. It that does happen. That is one of the downfalls of yeah. the offshore haddock. And there, there is some tricks, you know, people will dip, they'll plasti dip their, uh, their, uh, bank sinkers. Uh, I've seen that where the guys will, oh, they'll wrap them and like hockey tape or something like that. I think some of the the tuna guys are doing that to black out all their gear too. They'll they'll yeah, elect- electrical tape, electrical tape or hockey tape because it's more of a flat mat yeah. um, versus the shinier electric tape. I've done like liquid liquid uh, rubber. Yeah, liquid rubber. Well, that's that's a personal that thing stuff. that you're doing. I don't I don't want to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when you went, all right, so you, it was kind of like, so it sounds from the first time you went out really haddock fishing, you had success, kind of didn't know what you were doing, but you must know where you want to go when you go out now, right? Yeah. I mean, just from trial and error, I mean, that's, that's how it works. And, you know, talking to some of the, the guys that are willing to have that conversation, but it's, it's like anything. Well, if, if you have that conversation with someone and you can say, hey, this is what I'm doing today. And they say, this is what I'm doing. And you find out what works. And then you can radio over or text, depending on where you are, um, and say, hey, you know what I said this morning? It's working. Or, hey, it's not. How's it going over there? Um, you know, with sharking, you know, you definitely don't want anybody near you. You want to be all by yourself. You know, you don't want to see other boats, preferably. Um, sometimes it works, but usually you want to be, you know, solo. I've seen Mike Fallon get mad twice in my life. Both times we were sharking together and somebody <laughs> jumped in our slick halfway through. Yeah. Uh, like, I never seen Mike get, ever get upset. Absolutely unload. Yeah, I mean. It's so disrespectful. It, it's just one of those things. So, like, when you get into the sharking, then you start buying rods and reels and, and belts. And, you know, with, with a charter, I feel like, you know, there are some charter customers that I know are decent anglers, so I don't feel uncomfortable putting them in a harness. But a lot of times now is I've actually put my 50 wides into a long butt um, to fight them right out of the gunnel. And it's just a safer thing because I'm solo. I'm, I don't have a mate. You know, if I have someone that wants to really do it, and I always tell them, I'm like, you, you really want your back to be sore tomorrow. Like, well, I'll put you in a harness. <laughs> I'll, I'll have the short butt. I've kind of moved away from the harness as much as I can yeah you know the unfortunate thing is I do like to fish my my deep baits on my 50 wides yeah which are all bent butts at the moment but um we catch so many fish on on pitch rods and stuff like later 30s I catch them on my torium 16 I catch them on my haddock rod we did yeah. it, we've been doing that for like three summers now and we use the little uh the little foam things yeah the foam pad on the that thing is just awesome just yeah the, yeah the big yellow like yeah thing on the back of the butt the yeah, d, yeah. The d saver pop yeah. it right in yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly the d saver it yeah. saved our day tuna fishing oh yeah time, absolutely man. oh my god I used that down in tarpon fishing in Key West and I I, I was trying to be tough the first time because I'm like oh you know I'm a big tough yeah I had a welt like bruising like all in my crotchal region it wasn't pretty i mean i still got it done but you know well especially if you have like <laughs> an aluminum gimbal on there yeah that's what it was yeah, yeah. yeah. i was just digging and digging <laughs> it was awful and then the guy's like he hands it to me i'm like yeah i'll take it on the second tarpon but by then the damage had been done <laughs> so you're talking about your setups you know, i heard you say you're grabbing the swivel okay talk to us about your high low rigs okay so um so i was Kind of like, you know, like anybody else, when you get into it, you don't know what you're doing. So I was just buying high-low rigs. I uh, used a lot of Seawolf tackle. I hated the hooks. The hooks would snap, and they were kind of chintzy. They would dull out. If you caught a cusk, the hooks were junk. They were these, like, red hooks on all the haddock rigs. So then I started switching all the hooks on the Seawolf tackle. And I think, uh, what's the other one there? Seamasters? Fit, uh, there's Fin High, Strikes? Yeah, Fin yeah, yeah, Strikes, something like that. Something like that. I was using a mixed bag of those, and uh, really there's no difference in success. Uh, the only thing I found was the hooks. And then I was like, well, I think I watched a YouTube video on how to make haddock rigs. So I made a pegboard, um, and I made all my measurements, and I just kept on building different haddock rigs to see what size and lengths I wanted for where I put, you know, the first dropper loop to the second dropper loop to the swivel to the open overhanded surgeon knot to uh, attach my weight. Um, and then I found it and, you know, I got my little pegboard down in my basement and I got little clamps that I can hold things. So, you know, when you're trying to do the overhanded um, 
loop knots, um, you can kind of clamp things with these little micro clamps. And um, I don't know, maybe later on I can probably do something where oh. I, I show you guys that. Yeah, what's your preferred uh, spacing with the loop knots? So from the weight to my first um, dropper loop, I would say it's maybe 12 inches. So when I'm bouncing bottom, and that's, that's the thing I tell people, is like if you're not hitting bottom with that weight, you're not fishing, especially for haddock. Um, so that first dropper where, you know, I either got clam squid or mackerel belly or something like that, I have 12 inches, I would say, um, to the first bait. And then the one above that is, I think about 14 inches above that. So it's not a big gap. I like them lower and, and right, right on the bottom. Um, seems like it works really well for Haddock. I mean, I know guys that put three or four different dropper loops, especially like the commercial guys, they'll run like, what, five? Yeah, Joe was telling me, Joe Letourneau yeah. from, um, uh, what's the name of his Lady movie? Rebecca. Lady, Lady Rebecca. Rebecca. Lady yeah. Rebecca. He, Sabiki's Haddock. Like, they have five dropper loops. Yeah. So, you know, that that's that's jigging the other. Living. Yeah, <laughs> jigging for a living. living. Yeah. I got to get a sweatshirt. Those are nice. They, they are, are nice. nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say, you know, that, that, you know, 12 inches, 12 inches, and then maybe 12 to 14 inches above that, I put the uh, the, the swivel. And then what I put is just a, an old school um, um, clasp style um, um, swivel. So you can just, as you break anything, you just unclasp it, pop off the old rig, reach into the bag of pre-mades, Clip it back on, put a new weight on, boom, you're back in 30 seconds. So I've been I've been using the last few years instead of a swivel because a lot of times with those bigger swivels, especially like when I'm haddock fishing, I only haddock fish really April and May, and it's cold and my you know trying to unsnap the things takes longer than getting anything else done. So I've been using those tactical angle clips. Yes, and they've been and, really successful. And I, I've done some of those. Um, but I, I'm the other way. I'm having a hot time with some of the tactical angle, angler clips, unless I buy the big ones. Yeah, I buy like the 125-pound yeah. ones or something like that. The other thing is is to put, uh, especially if you're chartering, is to put one of those little uh, rubber balls above it. Absolutely. Because they reel everything into the guides. They they don't stop until they can't reel anymore, and they're still trying. Um, but, yeah, that little rubber ball above the uh, either the – Rubber or plastic, right? Yeah, they, they make – Yeah, they make like – bead. bead. Yeah, it's a bead. Uh, you just put it on your main line. And I go straight braid. I know some people uh, will do a top shot of mono. I just like to feel everything. And when I hook up, it's a quick little pop. It's a direct connection to that fish. And um, I don't feel any uh, need to put the uh, top shot of mono. Some people like it. Some people don't. So I'm a top shot mono guy because, yeah. you know, my background haddock fishing has been working on the party boats. And as you all know, if anyone's been on a party boat, often one of the things that you get to deal with a lot of the time is tangles. And then, you know, you lose some rigs and sometimes tying things with, with braids a little bit tougher to do, you know. So uh, I usually run like about a 20-foot shot of like 50-pound mono just so I can tie anything up. I want it to break, you know, if I'm really hung up and I can't get it out um, as opposed to braid. Sometimes it braids like steel, like it's, it's not going. And... Um, yeah, so that's really just why I do it. It's most so for the tangles, not so much for the actual act of fishing. Plus, I also think it gives it a little bit of give when those haddock are bouncing. There's a little shaking flex, flex in the yeah. line. Yeah, a little stretch with the mono. And I think that's the balance between the rod. Like That's why I like a softer tip rod because it gives it that suspension. Yep. Um, you definitely don't want a broom handle out there. No. Um, you got to have that little bit of you know flex. 
Um, but yeah, it's just, it's worked for me. Um, you know, um, I always say I can hook fish. I don't reel them. So that's their job. So hooks, <laughs> you, what size hook are you using? So I'm using a, hooks? yeah, I'm using a 5.0, uh, bait holder hook. So it's got the little barbs along the shank. Mm-hmm. It kind of helps hold, you know, any kind of, uh, bait on the actual, um, the hook. So it's the 5.0 bait holder. Um, I think it, it would be Gamagatsu. I believe that's where I, I get them. And I think they sell them in like 25 packs. I mean, you know, we all do it. It's a, you're buying them on Amazon or whatever. I've had good luck with them. The only time that they break is in a damn cusk. Everything. Cusk Everything just breaks. They, they just destroy, destroy your knives. They destroy yeah. your hooks. They destroy your and I ha- And I have tried circle hooks, and they work. Um, you know, when you're trying to tell your customers to not set the hook, like a lot of customers, they get tired, and that would be a great time to switch over to circle hooks. When they want to just stick it in the rod holder and walk away and have a beer, you know, circle hooks would be great at that time because the fish will hook itself. But I will say going out there, if there was one, if you had maybe six inches of bait that you had to work with, absolutely would go with squid because it seems like it's, yeah, it just stays on the hook. A squid lasts forever. I feel like I fish with like the same piece of squid for like four hours. I I think I did a charter last year and I brought like three or four bags of squid and clams, all that crap. I think we literally went through four squid yeah. the whole time. The Absolutely. whole time. Like, that's not a lot. That's like everybody had four pieces and we limited out, on, like, in short order. Until you get to that, you know, anytime April, all through May, even sometimes a touch into June, you'll have really good haddock fishing. And if they're hitting anything, then you just switch to squid because it's just so much easier. You're going to catch four or five fish. And then you gotta, you know, you get people that are greedy because you hook one and you don't want to reel it all the way up with just one. So you're trying to catch that second one. And I tell people, I'm like, you can do it. Just keep tension on it. You know, it's once you hook, feel that first one, you know you got them. Just let it sit there, keep it tight, and just kind of slowly work it up, and maybe give it another five or ten seconds, and then start reeling it up. Yeah, just yeah. like we're mackerel fishing. Yep, it's deep yep. mackerel fishing. If you well, think it, about se- that. it yeah. seems to me though too, when it comes to like baiting the hooks. Uh, you know, you always assume bigger bait, bigger fish. It's not. But yeah. with haddock fishing, it's a lot different because a lot of people will be like want that huge glob of clam on there, and it's not really wise. It's just a little tidbit. Throw it on there and That's make it, it happen. If you're a haddock fisherman, this is probably the biggest tip that you're going to learn today to help you immediately get success. Do not use big globs of clam. Yeah. It's the, like the number one killer. Like that will st- end yeah, your bite. A, they have small mouths. You'll yeah. miss the hooks. They'll, they'll just nibble the whole thing right off. But the other thing, too, is just switch it up. You know, bring different types of bait out there. Honestly, there's sometimes that, I mean, I've heard from the old timers, like, let it sit out in the sun all day, you know? And that that rotten, stinky-ass bait that you're sending down there, it, it works sometimes, you know? Um, clam works. Uh, I You know, the uh, the Asian purple clams, um, they're hard to come by recently. Um, ever since COVID, the guy wasn't going out to get them, but... Those little purple clams, those are great. They're fantastic, and they're about perfect size to literally cut in half and use one side. You when know? we when we were getting the purple clams, Crossroads was the was the only place that carried them, right? Um, I, b- here? I believe Crossroads were, uh, yeah, they're pretty much sold. We're getting well, actually, it was. I think it was they were coming out of Inner Shell, so I'm, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. I'm assuming if you went to Inner Shell, you could order them, but yeah. um, that boat was coming into Gloucester that was doing the Asian clams. But um, yeah, those were great. They were five pound packs and. Uh, Man, we missed them for uh, not last year. We got a little bit of them last year, but the year before we had no purple clams, and we were struggling one day. And I bumped into a guy that I um, that I went fishing with, and he had like half a bag left, and he had already limited out. He gave us half of his bag of purple clams, 
and we freaking slayed it. <laughs> and I go, it's the freaking clams. Of course, it's just, you know, situation. The haddock might have moved finally back up onto the bank. Who knows? But, yeah, it, it definitely was noticeable when we switched back to the purple clams that one day. Have you ever tried shrimp? Yeah, I have. I've had limited success with it. You know, usually it's a shitty old freezer burned shrimp that I didn't eat in a shrimp cocktail. But it's it's not like um, the actual like good stuff like you're buying you know fresh. I used to get shrimp for bait somewhere. I can't even remember where. I and mean, we tried it a few times. But that's like the golden bait down in Florida. You know, yeah, yeah. it, it falls everything. off the hook though. You can't drop yes. it down. It falls off the yeah. hook all the time. Yeah. It's a pain. I was buying uncooked shrimp, and then if you know if it usually I was using it for sabikiing and stuff like that. Like if the mackerel would be in finicky. Now I just bring out a five gallon bucket of chum and just draw them away from all of you. <laughs> well, if you're bringing store-bought shrimp, you can show up with Jeremiah. <laughs> if he brings one more store-bought lobster on my boat to yeah. throw on a, yeah. throw on stripers, man. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and that was interesting, too. When I was lobstering, you know, you would mark so many stripers because they're just eating your, dead, you know, your uh, shorts, you know, and there's rumors about guys in Gloucester that feel like they have a school of striper that literally hang out underneath their lobster boats waiting for them to go back out and they just keep on following them out to eat all their shorts well i believe it because think about it like if you ever been to Marquis or browns and you're sitting out there you throw a french fry and nine times out of ten there's a good pot of stripers that are going to be eating it yeah. they're conditioned they're con- actually kind of cool, cool story so one of the things if you look at behavior of animals and stuff um if you do something into the environment, like you bait bears, you yeah. know, with, with, with bait. And uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, some guy caught a 50-pound striper off the public dock at Cashman's, the fishing pier. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was like, it was like the middle of July yeah. or August or something like that. Really impressive catch. And the guys at the bait shop were cracking up about it because they had a bunch of pogies that no one bought, and they went down there and dumped out, like, two huge coolers two days before. So they effectively made a huge chump slick of dead pogies. Yeah. That fish might have been 30 pounds and then sat there for a couple of days. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Wow. But, like, same thing with the lobsters, you know. Uh, tuna fishermen turn their boat on, or they go fish behind the draggers down in yep. uh, Louisiana. Um, all kind of the bubbler where we get mackerel, yep. you know, just kind of things people get uh, the fish get accustomed to. I find it interesting though. Uh, this will probably be like we definitely got a hit on this is jigging. It's just, I mean, I got guys that come out. Uh, you were out there with, yep. with Coach, and, and he crushed it on the jig that day. He did, he but did, he but but he works his ass off. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all out there having a good time. You know, having a couple of uh, Mike's Hard Lemonades, or you know, maybe a, maybe a seltzer. <laughs> I wasn't drinking that. <laughs> no, no one, no one was drinking that. Uh, he was off the clock at this point, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, just so yeah, yeah. fun fishing. Yeah, it was a fun yeah. fishing. We trip. get to drink yeah. on the boat yeah, maybe yeah. twice a year. Yeah, that was it. That was one. Uh, but yeah, so. He was working jigs, and he was, you know, he was throwing, like, the Shimano uh, butterfly jig, and uh, he didn't have a teaser above it. I've seen guys throw, like, a, like a, what's that, grub? Uh, what's the one that's gulp? scented? Gulp. gulp. Yeah, the gulp grub. I never used that for hats. Yeah. It and, makes sense. And I have seen that where they'll, they'll throw a butterfly jig on the bottom, and then they'll throw a teaser with that, uh, you know, flavored uh, Berkeley gulp uh, grub or shrimp or something like that. As a little teaser up above. The other thing, too, is like when you're talking high-low rigs, it's like whether or not to put uh, a teaser on it. Some people put that shrink wrap tubing stuff on it. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't mess with that. I know it, it probably is more abrasion resistance to like cod on the actual dropper loop, but 
typically when my, I mean, I'm making my own rigs, so I'm saving a ton of money. I'm not buying $3 or $4 uh, package rigs. I'm probably making my own rigs for under 80 cents. Oh, at least. Yeah. yeah. You're pouring your own lead too still? I yeah. I you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. It really hasn't affected me much. Um, <laughs> um, but really, it, 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 it's good. No, but seriously, the lead thing was, you know, it kind of came, I bought the real fancy Lee, like self-pouring pot. And the problem is, is that the lead that you get out there, like as you're scrapping, um, you're getting shit lead. It's really poor quality. It's dirty lead. So having a big cast pot, um, not too big too, because that's the problem is that when you get the ladle, you, if you have too big of a pot, your, your, your pool of lead is too shallow to get a full scoop. So you actually are better off with a little bit smaller size pot. And, uh, yeah, I bought like the, the uh, cast iron Dutch oven that probably could hold like 300 pounds of lead. That's great if you're going to do 300 pounds of lead, but if you just want to bang out like 40 pounds, mm-hmm. you got to melt a shitload of lead to get that going. So I literally sit there with my little turkey fryer uh, burner, and I got my cast iron pot, and it takes me like 45 minutes to get it up to temp. So then you finally get over there, and you can ladle out the stuff, but you got to clean the surface all the time. So they add little things to that lead to, to uh, make the impurities go to like where you want it to. So they'll throw wax in it. So you take like a candle and cut a piece of wax off of the candle and throw it in the lead. And it kind of attracts that impurities to that wax. And then you just, I literally use a, a spatula that I won't use for, for food and that's slotted so you can kind of ladle it out and pull all those impurities and just flick it into a bucket or, you know, something that won't catch on fire because it's hot. It's magma. Now, do you think the uh, the work is worth the reward? Absolutely. Yeah. So what does a bank sinker now go for at a Dude, beta? It was, like, it was almost full, like five bucks a pound Yeah, four or five year. bucks. Yeah. So when I'm, like, talking to buddies that are, like, they're in their, uh, you know, uh, shooting and they have, you know, they have ballistic blocks that they can pull the lead out of that or guys that are into construction and they're pulling out lead uh, flashing off of chimneys and things like that, I'm getting free lead. So it's my propane bottle. So was that 15 bucks to fill up or whatever? And it's my time. And then I do a ton of it. So I'll do like 200 pounds usually at a time. So if that's five bucks a pound, I think it's, yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, no, no kidding. We should uh, do a lead pouring party. Soon. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's definitely something to. Uh, it sounds like the, the beers need to be involved with lead pouring. At least we'll record that too. At least there the fireball. Go. I mean, this is New England. <laughs> uh, I mean, if we're in Maine, we'll we'll pull out the coffee. You know, a little brandy. bit of fire, cauldron full of molten hot lead. Yeah. Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. I'm on vacation <laughs> this week, so it was a good time it, to me. <laughs> it was actually funny. The first time I tried it, like you know, I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, uh, all right, it's time to do it. And then all of a sudden, the kids in the neighborhood were coming around me, and I'm like, get away from me! I'm like, this is poison. <laughs> <laughs> Except that one kid, you know. You yeah, I like. didn't like that kid. Hey, he, thirsty. Yeah, yeah. Here, hey, here you go. Hey, hey, are you under six years old? Yeah. But yeah, so we ended up, uh, I think that was the trick is that it's it's better if you have a ton of molds too. So because it takes a little while to let them cool off in the mold before you can open it, or you keep on breaking the eyelet of the uh, bank sinker off. So you oh, got that must be so frustrating. Oh, yeah. You finally <laughs> got a good pour and everything worked out right, and you pull it open, and then you're trying to pry it out a little bit with a, a screwdriver and then it just snaps and you're just like shit so you put it back in the pot obviously it remelts it yep so start to finish how long does it take you to finish about 40 pounds if you have multiple uh, molds 
you know, by the time you finish like a third or fourth mold, so if you have all 16 ounce molds, mm-hmm. um, by the time you finish the fourth one, you can start prying on the first one. And then you just keep working. And like just that. keep on working in yeah. like an assembly line. So I have, sadly, I don't have a lot of them because I just started doing it a, two years ago. Um, so I bought a 10, a 16, and a 20 ounce. And um, that I, I kind of use all of them. So I do three and then start over. But mm-hmm. I use predominantly 16s, I feel, when I'm uh, fishing. Yeah. Um, if we have no drift, then I can switch over to 10s. But typically, we, you know, during the season, we're, we're moving a little bit. So 16s ideal. So you're not anchoring out there, right? You're just drifting? Um, no, typically not. If, if I'm going to be tuna fishing and, and doing that, then I will uh, anchor. Um, there are some spots out there where, you know, maybe there was a, a something to tie off onto already out there um that was uh, convenient um and it worked very well yeah you know what you need on that boat i know what i need so <laughs> so uh, Min- i would recommend the tarova yeah <laughs> yeah the minkota man uh over here uh he knows that i want one so it's definitely on the uh the bucket list last year was autopilot so that was a game changer just oh how great is it's fantastic so that was the other thing that was cool is like garmin they make a really you know cool system where it's plug and play it's just green wire goes to green socket and like the autopilot was super easy the install i was a little scared or skeptical of it because i have never done one and it went really really smooth so i have to say the install stuff was super easy with that and bleeding it was i bought that kit where you can kind of make the whole loop system all one on the back of the um the ram for the actual motor Mm -hmm. so you just kind of connect the the in and the out and make a loop and then you just Turn the wheel right a hundred times, turn the wheel left a hundred times, and then it bled out. And um, and everybody should know how to do that on their own boat anyway, autopilot or not, if you have hydraulic steering. Absolutely. Because I've had to fix mine, you know, get back to the dock. It's not looking so good. Hurry up, get it yeah. going, bleed it out. But, I mean, you know, you have autopilot with Hummingbird, and you know how cr- critical it is, you know, whenever you've had um you know not had it because you're waiting for new equipment to come in or something like that are you sitting there going i hate not having it because once you have autopilot you want autopilot i had autopilot my parker with the lawrence and then when i and then i got hummingbird on my parker but i kept my lawrence head just to run my autopilot and then when i got my my pair custom you know we went full hummingbird with that and yeah and it's not even the autopilot just to like go to a spot and drive it's awesome for that obviously but for me, the autopilot's great when like I'm setting up a troll and I want to get five lines out and I'm by myself with customers and you know, you could have someone drive the boat, but it never works out. They don't really have a lot of experience. Maybe that's some of the drawbacks yeah. with, with Garmin is that it makes you go a little bit faster than a troll. So exactly. I start off a little fast till I set my lines off, then I get off autopilot and I drive. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I like, don't really actively fish on autopilot. Yeah, because I'm going like five or six miles an hour for uh, the Garmin autopilot to really work well. There's a there's another thing I need to do with um, the header, the heading sensor. So we, me and Chris always uh, argue about which way our uh, screens are because he's uh, you're what true. I am north up like You're north every up. normal human fisherman. It's not ever. normal. You it's... course up people. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm a North Up guy though too. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think we converted Dan. I think I was, yeah. I was, I was like, no, I, like no. I just got nauseous. <laughs> so I, I like North Up more so because I, I'm a big chart guy. I yeah. always look at charts, especially during the winter. Your Navionics chip or like on my Hummingbird. I, I I like the charts. I orient I orient everything to looking at a chart. So when I look at my screen, I can really you know. Um, see where I'm going. I know the proportions of everything around me. But you know what? It screws me up when I bring the boat down to like the Cape because you know I'm looking at the chart in the Cape and I see land up north. Yeah, and you're north, on, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like I'm up. so used to always fishing up here. And I'm probably gonna get know. made fun of this, fun, fun for this one. But uh, you know, my I feel like I have a very strong internal compass. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? until yeah. the fog rolls in, Dan. No, see, <laughs> even in the fog, you know, even in the fog, I kind of feel like I have my bearings no matter where I am. So, like the north up, really, like I don't know, it 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 ties into that. It, re it relates to me. I, yeah. I understand it. Quicker. For me, I think it was like you know I've used so many different you know Garmin or other um, GPS electronics, either in other boats or handheld ones for hunting. That it's always just been like, I'm going in this direction. And that's how I've learned to use that device. So for me, it's more familiar than if I'm like walking down a trail, but then it's, it's showing me I'm walking sideways on the trail. So the the biggest thing for me why I don't like course up, and this is really why yeah. I don't like it, is because it's probably better now on, on newer fish finders mm -hmm. that are faster processes. And bigger screens. And bigger screens. But it's so when you're in course up, your icon on your boat. Uh, stays and the actual chart moves in relation to your heading. Yeah. So what happens is you get some lag time. And I remember when I was younger, my father at first used to be, actually he's still course up, but when I go on his boat, I switch it over. Yeah. But when I was younger, you know, we'd go try to anchor up the commercial bass fish and like you'd have a spot, but you can never get on the spot because you get to the X and the whole thing would turn and it would lag yeah. and it was super frustrating. So what I found was that with the Garmin, when I calibrated the compass, um, I probably I'm going to try to recal and go back into the factory set settings and and give it another shot. But they make another add on like heading sensor that you actually it's a it's a physical uh, hardware that you put, you know, away from anything metal, obviously. And then you mount it, you know, central in your boat. And then it's it's not expensive. I, I want to say it's like one hundred and twenty five bucks, one hundred and fifty bucks. I believe most things if you have radar, you have the heading sensor as well. Yeah, because like my boat looks like I'm um, crabbing. Yes. And, and when you're an autopilot. When I'm on, how I'm, weird is that yeah, getting and, used to it first? Yeah, like my nose is, you know, maybe at eleven o'clock. But and, you're not going that direction. But I'm going I'm going twelve. You know? I remember when I first got mine, I set up a little course so once I left the dock I could put it on autopilot and it would take me out through the mouth. Yeah. And I don't I can't do it. Like I'll do it if it's foggy and keep a lookout. Yeah. But it's just like the way it looks like you're going to go smack a buoy, but then you end up going nowhere near it. I just, I can't get over that. I think, I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm getting uh, comfortable with the electronics, trusting it, but like, and I wanted to try to, you know, build my own um, course through the mouth of the, you know, through like from basically Cashman Park all the way out to the mouth. Um, but I think it was like, oh, you need blue charts. I'm like, I do. I got the XSV. It should be built in. But I, it's probably like I got to call Garmin. And that was the other thing, you know, I felt, Pretty confident whenever I called them, I, I got someone or they'd call me back and they walked me through any questions I had. But that system was pretty simple to install. I mean, once I had the parts, I mean, other than, you know, waiting on certain things to show up, it was pretty easy. Some of the fittings were weird with, um, you know, I wanted to buy pre-made um, hydraulic hoses with all like, you know, uh, regular threaded ends and stuff like that. 
And it's not that. You buy the Sea Star hose, and it's that hard plastic stuff that's kind of a pain to work yeah, with. Yeah, sucks. But um, it it went in, and it, it doesn't leak, and I go where I want to go. It's just you have to trust it because you're like you're looking at like ten or eleven o'clock on your boat uh, on the icon, and you're like, I feel like I'm going the wrong way. So you've done a lot of things to your boat. I mean, you put the lobster davit in, you yeah. put in autopilot. You put in, you've changed out screens for Runos and Garmin's yeah. a few times. You've made an ex, extra live well. Yep. Out of all the things you have on your boat, what's your favorite or at least most important thing you feel like? The live well. The live well. Yeah. So the live well was a big win. Um, and that's, you know, my, my real job, my Monday through Friday thing um, that I get paid to do. Um, that is um, related to water and wastewater treatment. So having that knowledge and the science behind that. I started putting it towards making a live well. And I seen like a bunch of, you know, pre-made live wells that had some cool things. And then, you know, researching, you know, the color, the internal colors, the the shape of it, the depth, how many, how many mackerel per gallon and things like that. And then I stumbled across the pure oxygen system. And that was huge. And instead of going to an aerator, which is pulling in your ambient air, which, you know, in the summer, guys, it's 80 degrees. You're pumping in 80-degree air into your live well, and it's only 20 to 21% oxygen, whereas what we're doing now is we're using a bottle of pure oxygen with a micro diffuser, and that's pumping that air or that pure oxygen, 99%, 99.9% oxygen, into your live well at 55 degrees because compressed air comes out of that cylinder at 55 degrees. So what we found was as we wanted to keep bait alive in between charters or if we wanted to go up river and try them, we could. And we didn't have a very short window to do it. We could keep bait alive for four, five, six hours up river. Because we're not cooking them, we're not, you know, there's a lot of urea, you know, their waste is coming out of that mackerel. Obviously, you have to understand any mackerel that's heavily bleeding should not go into your live well, if you can avoid it. I understand when you're short on bait, you put everything in the live well. Can, can we just stop and talk about proper mackerel care for as you load up your live well? That's the number one rule. If yeah. it's bleeding, I throw it in a bucket of ice yep. and deal with it later. Use it for dead bait. Yep. Do not put a bleeder in the live well. And don't overcrowd your live well. Absolutely. So I ended up building my my last live well was a 55-gallon drum that I, I took a couple inches off the top to put a top on it that I could actually, I think it was uh, Captain Harry's, like, boatparts.com or whatever the hell he is. <laughs> but he had, like, a Rabalo uh, live well lid. So I just bought it and screwed it to the top. I made a plastic top. And how I, I don't know, formed it, it kind of made it, like, flat on one side a little bit. So it sits up against my gunnel perfectly. Um, would I love one of those custom, like, man, when you go out to California, those guys know how to do bait. Uh, they're just legit. When they do an anchovies, they're like, they, you know, oh, this is a four scoop, and they buy it. That's the other thing. They're cheating. They don't have to go catch them. They just go buy their bait all nice and live and kicking. We have to go catch ours and struggle. But, yeah, so what I find is I think it's about a 48-gallon tank now. I have recirculating uh, pumps, not aerators, so it moves water around, and I keep everything flowing in a clockwise direction because I found that bait like to go in there, and it's blue. And I think 
supposedly blue. I mean, I haven't talked to a mackerel lately, but they said they seem calm. <laughs> but when you hit that oxygen, what you'll notice is, especially if you over oxygenate them, their gill plates turn pink. They turn pink. My first time using my oxygen tank, I I was like, oh, what what setting do I use? I'm like, I'll try one. It's almost, like, one's no, a lot. Yeah. One's a lot. Those things are cracked out, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like and zombie that's, fish. Yeah, and they come out and they are. Feisty. They are feisty. You can't even catch them. You think you're reeling in a striper when yeah. you have that eight-inch mackerel pulling drag. So that's the the nice thing Straight too. Up blood doping. Yeah. <laughs> no, like it legitimately is. <laughs> but like, if I ever built my you know custom live well, it would have like an observation portal where you could actually oh, see how cool would that be? if you could see like mid water, you know, calm or the whole length of it even to see how well they're doing, and then you could remotely control how much oxygen feed goes in and how much circulation, shutting the ins and out. The other thing I find is that if you're catching your mackerel, well, obviously you're catching your mackerel out in the ocean, but if it's choppy, overfill your live well, like super fill it. Like if you can re- somehow shut off the overflow and fill the live well up so there's no sloshing in your live well, your bait will be a hell of a lot happier and alive. Um, so on my level, live well, I normally run a stanchion pipe. Yep. Uh, it does fill up and pressurize, but what ha- it leaks pretty bad. And a lot of time when we're drifting the mouth, like I'll open it and I'll just get soaked, you yes. know? But I do the same thing. If it's really rough out, I'll take off the little plastic cover on the um, on the top of the stanchion pipe. And I do this with when I use my uh, oxygen tank too. And I'll take a little um, rubber stopper and put it in the hole and fill it up and pressurize it so they don't get sloshed around everywhere. The other thing I find that people make a mistake is that the um, their intakes on their actual live well pumps, um, they're pushing water as they're driving. So mm-hmm. they're actually, if they're driving upriver, they're pushing all that brackish water into their live well. So I've actually, on my inlet side, my influence side of my live well, I put a ball valve. So when I'm when I'm before I get into that mouth of the Merrimack, I'm shutting my exit and inlet, and holding as much water as I possibly can. The other thing is the temperature. So if you're catching bait at 62 62 degree uh, water, you don't want to bring them into water that's you know 68 70 degree water. That's fresh. That's fresh. You're gonna kill them so fast. Yep. You know. Yeah, and that's and you know, and fishing in the Merrimack River, that's something that we have to deal with because every day. You know, the way that the season works, there's always a good stretch where we're you're, we're in the river fishing, and uh, you know, like I took a couple of buddies out, and we would we were out there at first light, and it was high tide, and Joppa was just coming up on it, and it was like, all right, do we go and do we try it, or the bait's gonna die? What are we gonna do? And uh, just kind of went for it, killed all the bait, and luckily when we went back out to fish on the beachfront, we were able to catch them again. But it did seem like they were uh, a little more sparse later in the day. Yeah. Well, they, uh, I mean, this year we had so much rain, too, which just definitely, the water was so fresh every time you took the, the mackerel in the I river. I was killing them in the mouth. I oh, was, yeah. I was killing yeah. them yeah. in the mouth, oh, yeah. not even up river. Oh, yeah. Especially as low tide came out. Yeah. On my way back in, I'd sneak out outside the North Jetty, get in the clean water, and wait five minutes to fill up just to save my bait for a little bit longer. Yeah. Anytime we did a drift, I would make sure that we drifted all the way out, you know, past the uh, the cans just to sit out there for a little bit. And usually they freaking, you know, I was untangling a bunch of crap, too. So it was kind of a, a two-for-one deal or something. I had to pee. That's the spot to be. This, oh, the, oh, this no one, year, no this one year. pees until you're halfway right in the middle of the mouth oh. and the troughs. You know, it was the worst. I, I feel like, I mean, maybe because I, I like there was a really good mouth bite this year, but I feel like I just got beat up so much this year in the mouth. Oh. I, I'm just getting too old for this shit, dude. That mouth bite, <laughs> that mouth bite oh, was shit. really good for 
quite a different point yeah. of time, but when it was really good, I just it just happened to schedule out this way for me. I had seven six hour double six hour trips in a <laughs> row, and I was fishing all the tides for that bite. Dude, I was torched at the end of that. Yeah. Absolutely torched. How fun is it though, bringing people out there that have never experienced? Oh, the people I love, love it. Yeah, I love it their fear. Yeah, I, I do too. I feed off oh, of it. It's so they, funny. They it's like freak out, but they, they love it. Yeah. But it's it's such a better fight yeah. because oh, yeah. they're getting the shit kicked out of them. You know, they're flopping around all over your boat. You know, they're like, oh my god, look at this way, and then it breaks right before. And then sometimes they maybe come in a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, and like <laughs> if we're all out there, we're all next to each other. It's like, oh, there's Chris. Oh, he's disappeared behind that wave. Yeah. Oh, there's Chris again. And there's some interesting photos of you know, like actually, I, I sent some photos to Steiger uh, of the boat in the mouth of the Merrimack, and it's just that. I think uh, Paul Murray took a bunch of pictures of me coming out, and it's literally I'm gone, and then I'm on the top of the wave. Is your boat is it Mod V or DV? It's a deep V. It's a deep What's v. the dead rise on it? 21. Oh, it's that deep, huh? Yeah. Well, actually, that's pretty stable. When we go fishing for Haddock out there, it's pretty yeah, stable. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. I mean, honestly. What's the beam? It's only 8.6, eight, right? 8.6. Eight, so wow. the the next step up, which they call the 28, but it's really the 26. It's just they wanted to have a 28. Um, it's just the wider version of my boat. So it's 26 feet long, you know, the hull length, uh, but it's a 10-foot beam. Oh, it's a it's a wide glad. I it's, will never have a boat without a bracket again. I love the bracket. Yeah. That set up, like your Steiger, yeah. our pairs. The, the thing is you can't trailer it legally, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Oh, the wide beam boat. The wide yeah. beam yeah. boats, you know. So that's why Steiger came out with the 8.5-foot beam. It's, you know, legally trailerable. So, I mean, if I was going to be on a dock um, all the time, then, yeah, the uh, the 10-foot beam would be the way to go. Yeah, that's right, because you trailer from Hudson, New Hampshire. I do. Day. So that's, you know, it's a 45-mile commute. Um, and um, there's pros and cons. You know, we can talk about that, I guess, uh, the pros and cons of being on the dock versus trailering. Yeah. So, you know, right off the bat, it's money. So, Absolutely. you know, I think right now the standard is 150 plus right 165 uh, 155 i think I 150 this year. Yeah. yeah and then as a charter captain they give you a nice little bonus slap in the face with a thousand dollars well nope that's why i left my marina so that's why i'm at a different marina now yeah. that doesn't do that uh, along with a lot of other charter captains but you might see that come you know down the road that they I, they, they do it too wouldn't surprise me wouldn't surprise me but i'm telling you what i'm feeding i'm I'm sending, you know, eight people to the deck every day. That's, I mean, I was there too, and I was, yeah. I was sending that to the, and then they, they just kicked me out. But regardless of that, <laughs> <laughs> story for another show. Yeah. Story for another show. I'm not bitter. Whatever. <laughs> uh, hey, John, we're all over here having a great time. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm at Cashman's behind five uh, cigarette boats, just just rapping away. Oh, all right, so I'm going to talk about the disadvantage the of you trailing. <laughs> so, so there was a day last year. I had a morning trip, and John had a morning trip. And we both came in, I think it was probably like a later afternoon, maybe like two. No, you came back the next day and I was still there. <laughs> <laughs> I went out on a trip and I came back and I and I could see John's boat. I'm like, hey, what are you going out again? He goes, dude, I'm I've been here for three hours. He goes, I'm still ten boats away. That was oh man. I don't know how you yeah, knew that. That's that was crazy. um you know well, fortunately, you're there early enough for your charters. The morning's the morning's a piece fine. of cake, but yeah. there's etiquette too that we can talk about. You know, you know what? Maybe we should. Yeah, talk about the expected etiquette out the there. The expected etiquette on the ramp. Um, so you know, you come in in the morning. If it's empty, then you know you you get first dibs. But I don't even still. I will not pull into that launching spot because some guys 
I don't know how they tow their boats, but they don't have straps on. They just pull in and back up and boom, they're in the water and they're lightning fast. Um, but me, I have, you know, straps, I have antennas, I have rods that I like to put out. So I pull over to the side, usually at Cashman's, it's right, right by the uh, soccer fields. Yeah. So before you're going on the actual ramp. Before the stop sign, there's yeah. a stop sign that says specifically. But this do, is for any ramp. This is for any ramp. Yeah. You want to, you know, preload your stuff, get everything ready, you know, make sure the plug's in the boat, you know, do all that, that pre-thought, have everybody go pee or do whatever they got to do. Um, and then when you're pulling up to that that stage uh, where you're actually turning the boat to back it down the ramp, you are ready to make that all one fluid mo mm -hmm. movement. If you're not ready to do that, where you're actually going to be backing down as soon as it's available, then you shouldn't be in that position. You should be back at the preps, uh, prep area. So when you back down, what you're trying to do is because we have a current, you always back down to the side, especially with me because I'm always by myself. I'm backing down into the water on the current that's going to pull me away from the docks because I don't want to have to force myself off the docks and then power reverse out of there and slam things up against the dock. That's not the way you want to do it. You want to make it nice, smooth leaving. So when the water is pushing you off the docks, as you're in reverse coming out, it's going to naturally push you towards the middle so you guys don't have to worry about banging on things on the dock. You just got to do it in a, in, yeah. a, in a way that, you know... Confidently. Confidently that you can get out of in between the two docks, especially at high tide. You have a lot of dock. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to obviously drift over to the other side of the docks where you could bang into people coming in from the river. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in the morning, if it's really dead, you'll have people launching on both sides. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like it's happening. Most people, I would say, that are launching on the um, the down current side where they're getting pressed up against the dock have lighter boats. Yeah, they'll have like the tin boats. The, yeah, they're, they're like rocking that. the lunds. Or at least stuff. have the help to keep them off the yeah. dock. Yeah, too. that's yeah. the other thing is they'll have that. Now, when I'm launching, I'll, you know, if there's no one there, then I'll just stay tied up. Hopefully my customers are minutes behind me. They jump on the boat, we go. I don't have to do anything. But if I see anybody coming to that, you know, prep, you know, past the prep period or prep uh, parking spot and coming into where they want to launch, then I jump on my boat, untie, back off and move to the, the, uh, the, the tie up docks. So you got like the pump out station, you can only be there for 15 minutes. And then you get the other dock um, where the fire boat is, you can move over to there if there's something, but you go to where you're available and you're not in anybody's way for getting in and out of the water. And that's the goal. Get there, get tied up, get out of the way. You know, if you're, you know, you're at the pump out dock, if uh, the harbor master comes in and he's got the, the down Easter and he wants to pump out his poop, you got to get out of his way. My dad calls it the kakasaka. The kakasaka. <laughs> uh, and they're all pretty cool, you know. Um, and that's it, you know. Get yourself ready. Have your customers jump on. Give them the safety meeting and on you go. You know, it's also a unique place because you could sit there with a long chair and a cooler beer and just on a Saturday afternoon have a good time. Yeah. However, <laughs> you know, it's a stressful place. There's a lot of new boaters out there, too. And, you know, unfortunately, they, didn't, they weren't able to grow up like we did and have the time to practice that all the time. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're out there and the guy's having some trouble, and most people do, instead of busting his balls, go give him a hand, show him something. And you know what? If you're one of those people, have some humility and accept it and don't. You know, don't fight back or be like, oh, I got it. Absolutely. You don't. If somebody's coming to you to ask, to say, hey, you want some help? You need help. Yeah. <laughs> great, great point, Cap. 
You know, yeah. have some humility, take it, learn something. Someone's willing to help. You know how many times that's happened? Like we got contacts with a guy and, you know, still talking fish about stuff, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you see these people and they're struggling. You, you just go help them, you know? We've um, all been there. The ones that upset me, and I know you're out there, you're having a good time. It's when they come in and they're not of the right mind. Oh, the shit face. And yeah. it's a disaster. That's not correct either. They shouldn't be you boating know, when they're that. And then drunk. you're sitting there frustrated. You know, they're they're aggressive with where they are in line and stuff like that. Like, you know, you just, hey, we're in. Hey, listen, I've been here since 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, it's now 6 or 7 o'clock at night. I'm tired. I want to go home and put food down the grocery hole and go to bed and do it all over again tomorrow. Don't, it, it's just when they get aggressive, then, you know, my Irish comes up. And, you know, just from what I've seen, those docs probably have caused more divorces than anything else. There's one I know of. <laughs> There's actually a story. I got I could talk, talk to him about it, but my, when my uncle had his boat, um, some, he did something that someone didn't like too much, and the guy actually, this is back in the 80s, he hit him over the head with a two-by-four. Hit your uncle? Yeah. Then he pre- proceeded to, you know, rumble. The one worst, I hear the other guy got he got the best of the other guy that's for sure. The worst thing I've seen is the center launchers. Um, some guys are good at it, some guys are not. So you have your two docks, and everybody should be launching on either or, preferably the you know the uh, the down current side, so it pulls you off of the dock. But when people are launching in the morning and they're doing going down both sides of the ramp, you got that one guy that can't wait, and he center la- he center launches it. And it's fine if he knows what he's doing, but when he doesn't, the worst accident I've ever seen at the ramp happened where the guy center launched it, and he panicked. He ends up, you know, jacking it in forward and smashing the boat uh, on the 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 up uh, the downriver side, and then bangs it into reverse, hits that guy's boat. But while that guy was backing up, the guy who owned the boat jumped into his boat to try to catch that guy's boat and push it off. The do- your your uh, your floors are all wet in the morning. He slipped, snapped his clavicle, oh. bad. Ooh. So then we now had to call EMS. Get that guy in the thing. I told him that we would put his boat on a on a trailer and get it up into the uh, parking lot, and he could get it later. So that was caused by someone that couldn't wait three minutes. It's unbelievable. And when he when John says down Riverside, you know, for those that aren't familiar, it is a tidal river, so you have to pay attention to your tides and which way the river is actually flowing. Because an incoming tide, it is it's going to be yeah. going from east to west. It's not in west Salisbury, um, the campground there. Uh, what do they call that? The, uh, the preserve reservation. Reservation, reservation yeah, yeah. The reservation. That's even worse because, like, during the busy times of the year at Cashman, they'll actually have usually an attendant there that actually will catch your ropes. Like during the normal hours, normal yeah. like they, not our hours. But no, yeah. not on not our hours, but you know from. You know, maybe 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. There, there's someone there that's helping you with ropes and stuff like that for the inexperienced people. But at Salisbury Reservation, there's not. So then you just have complete confusion. And especially when people are showing up and, you know, there's, you know. Their docks aren't really uniform either. They have the, the reservation, the, the pylons are on the outside of the dock. So you can yeah. actually. And again, it's, yeah. it's extremely tidally impact over there. They're shorter docks than I think Cashman. Yeah, you could probably only fit one, maybe two boats on each side, depending on the tide. No, you could, it's you could do two. That. I think you might even be able to do three, to be honest. It depends on the size of the boat. I'd say there's like know. 60 feet of dock on each side. Yeah, that much? Yeah. Right. But it yeah. just it, it just depends. Um, you know, sometimes you get the guys in the morning, everybody knows the routine. It's like, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. But then you get in the afternoon and you get everybody else that's showing up with the kids and the kids are trying to jump off the boats and, 
you know, there's more alcohol involved and things like that. It's not coming into play. Usually they'll have a conservation officer or state police up there, but he's just sitting there drinking a coffee, making OT. Mm. <laughs> the conservation officer is definitely out there checking licenses and stuff like that. We see him all the time um, at Cashman and at Salisbury. Um, and typically you'll see more of the dock observers, which are um, – uh, the fisheries. The fisheries, which a lot of people think that they're cops. They're actually just collecting data to, you know, then bring it back and, and adjust our, uh, you know, our regulations and hopefully, you yeah. know. And we're going to have a whole podcast yeah, I was about just that say next that week. Yeah. we get going on that, we'll be yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be a three-hour podcast. Yep. Yeah. But, yeah, I would say that's the, um, you know, that's the ins and outs. But, like, we were talking about money. So if I was to put my boat on a dock at 150 155 or, and then have to pay that $1000 surcharge and then you got to look at fuel costs so I'm picking up my gas at you know B&H oil in Wyndham New Hampshire on 111 what up um you know I'm t- I'm paying a dollar to a dollar 50 less a gallon and you guys are you know obviously having to buy your fuel on the dock and you know there's sometimes i've heard people had you know problems with the fuel quality at certain marinas gas stations getting a lot of water in it and stuff like that so i don't ever have issues with water in my fuel um but yeah um you know and the other thing that's nice is i bring it home i can power wash it i can service it when i have my time free you know i'm doing this semi, you know, full-time in the summer. I take a lot of my vacation and personal time to work. So I'm doing 70 trips a year, but I also have a little daughter. I have a house. I have a, a career still. So it's a very busy period of time. Yeah, it that, must make it easy on the bottom paint too, right? I still do it though. Yeah, you still bottom paint I it. I still bottom paint it because uh, it's been done. It's been, yeah, it's done. It's been done and... Uh, yeah, I mean, I just try to take care of it. You know, the bunk trailer, you know, driving it as much as you can. You will have yeah, wear. It. Yeah, well, yep. yeah, you'll chafe and you have wear items, you know, even on the trailer. You know, tires that you buy, the E-rated ones. Don't buy the cheap tires. Buy the E-rated ones, you know. I can tell you this. Never, ever will I ever change races and bearings. I just buy the pre, um, pre-greased hubs and just pop them on. It's such a cheaper, well, your time, you know. It's a five-minute fix compared mm-hmm. to... Like an hour and a half to two hours each wheel. Each wheel. Between packing bearings and popping races out and stuff like it's a nightmare. Yeah. So for sixty two dollars or something like that, you can buy a pre lubricate a pre greased hub and you just pull the uh the king the cotter pin out on the back off the thing and pop a new one on, done. And then your tires I change every two years. I put a lot more miles than most people do on their tires. Do you ever launch anywhere just for fun or on a charter? I don't have like, fun. Yeah, we, we don't. We really get to just do our thing, like on the no, boat. No, I mean, literally, there's two trips a year. It's with you. Yeah. Whenever I've been near you, that's when I'm having fun. Yeah. I love you. What? I love you too. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's just, it's so you crazy. And me, and me and you. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to walk away from the money uh, when you're like, okay, it's in the heat of the season. People are calling you. And you almost feel guilty going to do something for yourself because you have so many people calling you that want to go out and you want them to experience that. And these aren't like people I don't know. These are people I do know Mm -hmm. that have been bugging me. And, of course, they call me last minute. But it's like I want to get that opportunity to take them out and and have that experience and take their money. If you're a charter (laughs) client who has a flexible schedule and loves fishing, get on the, hey, it's good text message chain yeah because sometimes like if i got a day i don't know it's tuesday thursday is looking open and i'll send out a couple texts to my few groups hey 
It's good. Let's go. But you're doing it every day. Every day. Every day. And like there's a couple weeks there straight that I'll do it like late June, early July. I'll run straight through, you know, two or three weeks in a row um, every day as much as I can. And I'm doing doubles, sometimes triples. Remember, I was doing the triples. A couple triples last year. That was awful. I did a triple and two triples last year. Yeah, one of them was like a six. Yeah, I had a six, a four, and a four. Yeah, Woo. yeah, it's it's tough, and with an hour, maybe 40, 45 minutes in between. I mean, it's you don't have much time to other than to grab a sandwich or you know just drink Gatorade and go, or think, or think. Yeah, I wonder what the boat looks like by the third trip. Is bad. I mean, it's just, and then you got to go. Just, home. It is what it is, Dan. Okay, yeah. Yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Who's that stinky guy on the yeah. dock? But then you're <laughs> you're towing your boat home. You're tired, you know, and you're in sometimes beach traffic. You get it home, you know, um, you back it down, and then it's a process, about a 30 to 45-minute process of cleaning the boat, getting it ready for the next day, you know, moving your chum bucket back to the freezer and all that stuff. You know what I've been doing, you know what I did this year a lot of times? Instead of, uh, you know, cleaning the boat and going home, I've been cleaning the boat and taking a shower at the marina. I never really did that before, so. That's actually not at the marina. You you. Probably you're uh, you're gonna get arrested for that. That's someone's house. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you're breaking and entering. <laughs> no, that just happened that one time. Yeah. Then I found oh. out where the where the oh. docks were. Okay, but yeah, just get it done, get it out. Yeah, go home. I do miss that part of the the dock life, um, the social aspect of it. Um, but it can be a very very big time vacuum when you're down there and everybody's having a couple beers and you're having fun and you just like I gotta get home, guys. Everyone on uh, the dock. I don't know about you, but like so when I when I do that and I get like sucked into the the fun of it, yeah. I just don't even want to go home. Yeah, like, no at this kidding. point, like I just want, I'll just sleep in this chair and then like, right on the dock. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to make apology to all the marinas I've ever been at. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not trying to be a dick. Like, I'm tired. I'm like ready to go home. I can't sit and talk for an hour two hours because that's how it goes because i like talking to people yeah and sometimes i just know like i got oh, my head guys. buried in a bucket scrubbing like i just want to go home and, <laughs> and the green heads are chewing the shit oh, out that's of that's the green heads and the midges man yeah. that, that time of year. they don't think about that it's like listen i i call me in december i will talk about like a, every sunfish oh. you ever caught well, i'll tell <laughs> like you right now i'll take a, i'll take a dust. hundred green head bites over what the weather we're dealing with right now yeah no kidding <laughs> yeah. yeah no kidding but, Praying for Greenhead since the turn of the year. Absolutely. I mean, they weren't bad last year. Yeah, and I know you guys do a little bit of the ice fishing. I do. I if I go out, it's it's purely social. Like, yeah. I'm more interested in what's going on the grill than oh, what, yeah, we, what we catch through the hole. On yeah. the hard water, it really is just about uh, drinking beers. And yeah, and having fun. fun and, you know, know, catching some fish. And I like to bring the toys out, the quads, the sleds, the side by sides, that kind of stuff, and go play on there. You know, that's yep. that's I'm what very that's much what. a fair weather ice fisherman. Oh yeah, for sure. yeah, hundred yeah. percent. You know, winning Pasaki Derby, I went. I we had a great year. It was like thirty degrees. It was hardly any wind. We just had a blast. The next year it was like negative thirty with the wind chill. I hated it. I was like, yeah. this is awful. This is I, painful. I remember you calling me while you were out there in that tournament. And you're yeah. like, this sucks. It was <laughs> awful. If you don't have a shelter and something like that, oh, my God. It's just yeah. Like, it was brutal. even with the shelter, The you know, we just had the pop-up shelters. It was just shaking, shaking and around, you're yeah. still cold. It was, it was miserable. Every time you go check a trap, you're like, it's frozen into the ground. You're like, this, this is dumb. So you're just jigging everything about it. Was Nothing awful. like going in your shiner bucket and they're just frozen. Yeah. I do a different type of um, targeting different species in the winter, so 
That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you guys can think about that. Yeah. Long Giggity. and hard. Giggity. <laughs> Is that when you go whaling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They need love. Oh, that's awesome. So with the, with the, with the haddock fishing, you go, when you go out, if, the, if someone were not to be on a charter with you, and if you could give them one piece of advice and to, to be successful out there, what would it be? Work. You know, stay at it. Um, the more time that you're, you know, consistently keeping your weight on the bottom and just staying at it, like not taking a lot of breaks. I mean, obviously you got to take a break here and there, but just staying at the rail. The longer, more focused you are at the rail, the more you're gonna you're gonna catch. Especially in that time frame when they're starting to come over the rail quickly. Yes. That is not the time for a break. Yeah. If you're like, oh, I just caught three, they're catching. I want to take a break. No. Get your rod right. down. I'll, if, if I have a client taking a rest, I'll drop the rod down. I'll and that's, going. that's yeah. what, that's that's what I, I do. I think that's a true testament. That's a true outdoorsman nature. You know, when it comes to hunting, when it comes to fishing, it is about putting the time in to be successful. And then you learn the things that you really need to do to make sure you're successful. Well, I think, I don't know. I think a lot of people might see guys like John out there as a charter captain and be like, oh, this guy's a wizard. But they didn't see like the 15 years that he was going out, trying his thing, doing different things, taking notes, paying attention, up in his game. Like, that's the reality of it. They just see the sex icon that I've become. You are a sexy man, John. Um, and they just Hottest haddock man they, in the East. They're like, they're like, wow, he's got it all going for him. Well, it took an hour, but we got the real John Parker coming <laughs> yeah. out, ladies and gentlemen. You know. Hey, do you still wear the Grundins and no shirt? Yeah. Uh, no no pants either. Oh, the Gary Moran special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you catch the wrong angle. You're looking down at paradise. <laughs> Uh, uh, that's all t- well, yeah, when do you have to use the Grunins as a drift sock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, the reality is with Haddock, it's just, it's grinding, trying different things, you know, putting teasers on, taking teasers off, trying, you know, squid, you know, different baits, um, different weights. I found that like, oh, we thought we were starting the day off at, at, at 10 ounces. And then, you know, we picked up a little current as the day went on. The other thing is it comes in waves. So like, we'll see like a big hit right off the bat and uh, we're all excited. And then it kind of farts out. And some people think, oh, it's dead for the whole day. No. A lot of times it's a tide change. It's a tide change. It could be anything. But then all of a sudden, boom, like around 11 o'clock, it might pick up again. But everybody's like digging in their coolers for sandwiches or mm. firing up the grill for burgers and dogs. But you know, it's someone's got to be actively fishing. So when someone starts picking away, it's like, hey, get lines down. If we're, mm-hmm. we're stumbling across a pile, we're stumbling across a pile. And I constantly am watching my my sonar to see if we stumble on piles, especially in the spring because we'll stumble on the reds. Mm. And those redfish are like a real fan favorite for people that like to eat fish. Oh, great fish tacos. Yeah, great fish Yeah, tacos. they're tasty. I don't even eat mm-hmm. fish and I like redfish. Yeah, they're delicious. So we got to catch a ton of them, but we were catching monsters. Dude, we had some days together. I, I think we, we caught some monster redfish. I think the biggest redfish we caught was like 16 and a half inches. Yeah, it was huge. a 16, 17 inch fish. It was like, There was a couple that were close yeah. too, like 15, 14 stones. We had a, a predominantly north of 12 inch uh, redfish catch and we filled a five gallon bucket and then some very fast and when it's like that it's just awesome I and mean, they suck to you know fillet a whole bunch of fish but then you're just like oh we got the we're gonna do that the with, 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 with that it was interesting because we had i think we had all four what was uh, uh, me you mike and dan right yeah was that the day no me you mike and mike's dad maybe mike's dad okay yeah. um and we went out we left we went out to you know the grounds we were there in about what an hour because mm-hmm. we were, we didn't go that far out we went maybe twenty miles out yeah and we were done in an hour and a half and we were already heading back we left at eight 
and we were back at the dock before noon. With fish filleted and bagged. Done. Done. Oh, so many fish to cut. My back just hurts thinking about it. Dude, so the, that was four of us. So there were what's four? That's sixty haddock plus all the redfish plus whatever yeah. we got plus the throwbacks plus the cod. Yeah. And an hour and a half. And mind you, during that hour and a half, because one of us was cutting. Yeah. At times. So it was really only three guys. That's the other thing, too, is like what you're talking about was when I first started going out haddock fishing, I felt like I was always leaning over. Well, I was. I had the regular stupid, um, uh, was it Magna cutting board? Yeah, the low cutting board. So then I ended up fabricating a longer extension to that and putting, you know, that bracket together so I could get it up to be like a normal height. Now cutting fish, my my back doesn't hurt. It, it's mm-hmm. a much better experience. And you can go and try everybody's blades. Some people like Dexter. Some people like Bubba. Some people like wh- whoever. It doesn't really matter what Just works. Sharp for you. and comfortable. Sharp, comfortable. Like I love the grips of a Bubba blade, so Dude, I use that. One of my clients, um, but I drop a lot of them overboard. One of my clients, Jeremiah, got me um, a Kerber knife, just like as a gift. Yep. Dude, the thing was sick. I love it. I love it. It's my new favorite fillet knife. I mean, I have a bunch of Dexter's and stuff too, but this. What's this, the German one that you always see, like in like? Um, it begins with the V. No, it's no. like a Wolstoff. It's yeah, like W Wolstoff. It's, it's like you see Wolstoff. it. Yeah, but Wolstoff. I see it like in kitchens. Yeah. Well, same thing with Dexter. Dexter's a big uh, yeah. kitchen knife company. So I ended up. Um, someone got me that Wolstoff like fillet knife. Is it a Forstner? Is that what you're thinking of? No, it's a Wolstoff. Okay. It's like the one you'd buy like you yeah. know for like a wedding gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and th- I love that thing. But it's like it's like a hundred fifty dollar fillet knife. I'm like, no, that's too much. I'm like, that's going in my uh, my house. That's the first one that's gonna fall over. <laughs> Absolutely. Too. Well, I probably lost about six Bubba blades. I can't remember if I'm a recreational fisherman. Can I? fillet my bottom fish out there or do they have to land it before they fillet i think they they can fillet at sea but they have to leave the skin on for um identification at least a piece of the skin on which by the way you're just going to leave the skin on just leave the skin on oh yeah i mean what charter captain is actually going to deliver skinless fillets i mean that's you're 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 asking a lot of me if i'm by myself i'm landing your fish i'm baiting your hooks and now like what do you want me to do you want to go home and mow your lawn dude 60 (laughs) 60 haddock is going to take you minimum an hour and a half just to cut or hour 60 had it yeah. yeah definitely an hour and a half just to cut not to mention you're cleaning the boat baiting rods hooking fish undoing tangles driving the boat paying attention to what's going on the whole time while you're trying to cut fish and that's why i start right at the beginning i start Once, i get 15 i just start boom, you get a limit start. and you know i actually you know buying those one gallon bags it's kind of stupid because you can't fit no. a limit of haddock in a one gallon bag so you need to buy the two-gallon bag. Mm-hmm. So like now I got to go on Amazon find the two-gallon bags that are reasonably priced and buy those. So then I know like each bag is a limit, mm-hmm. and then let them deal with it. You know if you know I mean obviously the anglers are coming out. Some of them don't eat fish, so mm-hmm. when they go home they they divvy it up however they do it. Dude. You ever have someone that will come on the boat and be like that one was mine? Um, <laughs> yep, that only, one was only, mine. only like goofing around yeah. for me. Lee. Yeah, Uncle Chris would be like that definitely. <laughs> I think. How come you're giving him my fish? Yeah. I think for pictures, definitely on the party boats. Yeah, definitely. yeah, on picture time. Yeah, so if someone caught like you know a cocker uh, haddock and they want to really show it off and they caught a monster cod when it's open, um, they definitely want to grab their fish but usually with a cod you can pretty clearly tell who's who that and what we'll do is we'll put, we'll x's. put x's on the head yeah we'll say hey you're x you're v you're a line mm-hmm. um stuff like that you're a dick yeah we just draw <laughs> dicks all of your fish 
Uh, sometimes I just put my no. Oh man, dude, the party boat. Sometimes the people at the end when they'd be weighing the fish. No, that's mine. They screwed up mine. Oh, they used to be. Every once in a while, we get a good one. We get a good good argument going in the back there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really that fishery's changed the headboat stuff. I mean, now I, I mean we. I don't know if you've seen it, but like on the waters doing the um, over the rail edition of their show. It's like an online, like Facebook kind of TV show. Yep. And they basically showing like what it's like to go on these headboats. And they're showing that spring fishery up at Eastman's where they're going out and catching a gazillion reds and yep. stuff like that. And whiting too. They and actually white, target yeah. whiting, yeah, I believe. Target, target. Is it that time of year they go they do that? I believe so. I, yeah, I think it's early. Whiting's they get, they get people from like New Jersey and New York that come up specifically yeah. to catch whiting. It's, um, you know, in the mud hake and all that jazz. Uh, yeah, yucky, slimy, gross fish. Well, haddock's a yucky, slimy, gross fish. Yeah, but fish. they taste good, so it's yeah, worth it. Yeah, but they're they're disgusting. They're savage. They're so gross. Yeah, they will poop all over you. Yeah. They're, when I used to work on the potty boats in high school, you know, early college years, I'd you know I'd come home from a days with haddock fishing. My mom would be like, "Stop right there!" <laughs> Hose comes off. Like not even. It's like Shawshank. Didn't even. Yeah, was, <laughs> they loused. They loused me. <laughs> Mother loused me. Oh, that's Great funny. Times. So from the sound of it. You know, haddock fishing really is a lot of work. And if someone's not going to get too, too into it, they should probably just call you, huh? I would recommend that. I mean, it's it's not much of an investment, I would say, of of gear. You can go and buy, mm-hmm. you know, a $300 setup or a $250 setup at, you know, your local, you know, big box store. And then buy bait and buy those rigs already pre-made and, and go and do it. So, like, if you're sitting there and you got... A decent sized boat. I'm not going to tell you what size boat I think. I've went out there with an aluminum 20 foot Alaskan uh, boat with a 115 Yamaha, and I was all the way out in Jeffries. It was a flat, calm day. You have mm-hmm. to pick your days, but are there guys out there in 21 foot Key West center consoles? Absolutely. Yeah, hey, 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 I was one of those guys. Yeah. In the 21 foot seat. But are there guys out there in 17 foot uh, bass trackers? Oh, yeah. 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 Type of boat's important. Yeah. I mean, it's the deep V, like, salmon-style windshield uh, trolling boat. But, yeah, I've seen knuckleheads out there, you know, doing all kinds of stupid shit. But I would say, you know, you want something that you got to pick your days. And that's the other thing is what apps that we use to look at uh, the weather. Yeah. You know, um, you know, wind finder is a big one. But then I cross-compare it to... um, Fish weather is my favorite. Fish weather. The other thing I'll look at is surfing ones, um, yep. like uh, Swell Info. Um, Tides for fishing is pretty good. Yeah. I'll yeah, look. that's actually a very great tip because you got to kind of take like the average of everything that you're reading. Yeah. Oh, you got to go and from then three if or you're, four different if things. And then if you're on the line, if you're like, uh, call. <laughs> call a buddy. Have them look at it. Call a seasoned captain. You know, ask their opinion. <laughs> We've had this discussion. But don't ask someone that has like a 40-foot, you know, uh, down east boat because they're going to send it, mm-hmm. you know, in six-foot stuff. You know, what I always say is I want my seas, um, you know, the, the distance between the waves at least three times the height of them. And so if you're talking a two-foot wave, I want it six seconds apart and, and better. And then you got to look at the wind. If it's going to be blowing 30, stay the hell home. It's, yeah. it's going to be way worse than what they're telling you. And like you. it's different from inshore to offshore. If I see like three feet at like seven, yeah. three feet at eight, I'm going inshore fishing. Yeah. If yeah. I see three feet at seven, 
I'm really thinking about if I'm going offshore. Absolutely. I'm really thinking you know, about it. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, is that you chowder guys, you got to think of your crew. You know, Oh, that's always yeah. a factor, and at you least get, for me. Maybe you get, for some people, maybe not. Yeah, but. you get four-footers, and they were maybe you started the day off, and they were 12 or 13 seconds apart, and they step up to seven or eight seconds apart. You're going to have people throwing up and scared. Mm-hmm. Scared. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You're going to beat the crap out of yourself. It's going to take you three times as long to get to anywhere. And you're just going to be like, this is a miserable day. Mm-hmm. And there's always – the way I run my charters, I tell them, I said, listen, if if I don't think we're going to have a good time, I don't think we should go, and we can reschedule. I am flexible enough to make that happen. I leave opportunities f- for those fill-in spots. I'd rather take you on a day where we're going to enjoy ourselves. 100%. Then get the crap kicked out of us. It's just not, there's no point. There's no, I mean, very rarely do you get that hero crappy weather day. Like, oh, we battled the conditions and crushed it. Yeah. Let's be honest. It's haddock. Yeah. You know, it's it's haddock. It's uh, enjoy it. It's 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 supposed to be a fun thing. Having beers, you know, you got everybody throwing up or getting their you know their legs all beat up from banging up against the sides of the boat. That's just not a good kid on the boat that never wants to do it again after that. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. That's the other thing is you know you got to understand your your clientele. You know, if you got those young bucks that are a little bit more gamey to to do stuff, then you're like, all right, I can maybe push it a little bit. Yeah, it's a long day for somebody who's people say, oh, eight hours on the boat but if you don't do it it's a long day to go out there like it it gets to you if you don't do it all the time you have to be prepared yeah you know? i've seen people that have come out with me four or five times and then all of a sudden have a bad day throwing well, up. i mean that happens too yeah i'm just like the mental aspect of it like yeah. you're gonna be working you're gonna be tired it's gonna be great yeah you're gonna it be was sore only, only one time ever in my life that i almost got seasick yeah and it was actually new year's day and we had gone, I had gone out with, now my wife, we were down in Florida and we went out for New Year's Eve and uh, had a, you know, too many Jack and Cokes and you can smoke in the bars down there and I don't even smoke, but you my hangover well. was awful. <laughs> so I looked up, everyone's like, dad's going to puke, dad's going to puke. And I just said, look it, if I throw up, you need to know that I am not seasick. I am sick at sea. <laughs> <laughs> but I did hold it in. I made it. Was that on Burton and Angel's Yeah. Oh, was. nice. That's too funny. <laughs> the um, the shark tournament is the only time I've ever thrown up on the boat. Which one? Which the one? The one we, uh, me and Sean won. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. We went out and we sat on anchor and I had taken like. Overnight, right? I took some allergy meds or something like that um because i have allergies so back off um but yeah so i took some zyrtec and then sean's toilet broke so i'm like trying to fix it so i got a face full of that and then his cousin's making these greasy breakfast sandwiches and i just said that's it i can't take it anymore (laughs) and i went and yelled at the fish yeah 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 it was nice because he had the led lights underneath the boat so you could really see it yeah, it was that's, great. I think uh, that's what brought that thresher in. Yeah, no, yeah. that was the that was the night before we caught the thresher. That was that was fun. <laughs> Those are cool fish, man. They are the coolest. They are, uh, they are the coolest fish I think I've ever seen. Shark. That was fun. <laughs> you know, we had a great day with a shark on a thresher, and there was somebody that was invited, but couldn't make it all right all right i'm never gonna let you live let, let you <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I didn't know you were supposed to be i was, uh, supposed, I, to be I was you, supposed to be on the, me listen you and Dan. if i was on that boat that day i wouldn't have a boat now it's the way i look at it yeah true <laughs> true gave you gave you something to shoot for yeah that was a, that was the best that was the best fight oh ever. god a better part will haunt me for the forever that tail coming over and john almost died i almost died you almost died yeah yeah that's down. actually that that's video on video too isn't it yeah that's yeah we could probably acquire muster that. that up somehow i'm not 
dealing with it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the um, the video of that it's like it a, is on YouTube. Yeah, so I think like, it's under fish on. Yeah, so uh, lots of swearing, a lot of swearing, a lot, lot of inappropriate, lots thing. of inappropriate. Two hours of a fight, fish fighting a shark, yeah. and lots of inappropriate language. Yeah. I got flipped upside down and smashed into the side of the boat by the shark, and then. I gave you the reel, and Ron said, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and then he fought it, the whole thing. And I drove the boat, and when we were tail wrapping it, we were trying to tie it off on the cleat, and uh, the shark just went ballistic, and the tail came right up and over the gunnel and cracked the side of the boat. And part of the fin came by my face at about a warp speed. I remember I remember seeing the tail starting to, like, get going. Like yeah, it's, you could this, see it. It was a 96-inch tail, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. So you see the tail start kind of going back and forth. And I go, oh, John, watch out, watch out! And it was coming. And the way you moved your head, yeah, I tucked in. It was like you didn't, you weren't even looking at it. You just moved your head, and it was like when I go to pet my dog, and he doesn't want to be pet, and he just, he, you can't get him. It doesn't matter. Or he knows what you've done to him before. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Wait, there's no peanut butter there. <laughs> that poor dog. It's okay. It's my dog. It's okay, Mako. It's your dog. It's your dog. It's your dog. Yeah, it's totally okay. It's your dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, John, if someone wanted to book a, book a trip with you, how, how can they find you? Uh, Parkerscharters.com or uh, Facebook, um, just Parker's Charters there. Grinder. Yeah, Grindr, um, <laughs> uh, J-Date, um, all, all, all the date sites, um, I'm on them. Um, all jokes aside, though, I did see from your charter page, uh, Parker's Charters on Facebook. Yeah. You uh, looks like you were raffling off a few trips. Yeah, so um, someone bugged me, my degenerative gambling slash fishing friend. He's like, you should do a raffle. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to work. And then I did it, and it worked really well uh, last year. So um, my customers asked for me to do it again. So um, I'm going to do it again. I'll do a, a bass trip uh, probably maybe in the next couple of days. Jeremiah, Lily, if you're listening to me right now, traitor. Traitor. <laughs> <laughs> One of my clients and good friends who's become friends with actually all of us now yeah. won the trip. Yeah. <laughs> Did he win? That's awesome. Yeah. He won. Yeah. I, I got a text at midnight. He wanted to book two more with me. I think he felt bad. All <laughs> and I just wrote oh, back, traitor. Yeah. <laughs> nah, he's going to get on the stagger like, and be like, but that's this like, is comfortable. But that's like what it's about, though. Like, if I was like, if, I don't got a problem if a guy comes out with me six or seven times and he wants to go one more and go with you, you know, when I went Fallon, to When I went to fine. Key West, be- yeah. before I went... It's good for the fishery. Yeah, when I went to Key West before I got my captain's license and stuff and I was starting to think about that as an opportunity, I booked, I think it was four different trips with four different captains and I just wanted to get the experience of what they do and what their attitudes were like on the boat and... You got guys out there that are wicked, wicked good at fishing, but their uh, but their customer service is, eh. you know, it's less than desirable. They're yellers. There's guys down the Cape that are screamers. They're yelling and screaming at their customers. Throw that thing, and you know, and I get it. They're jacked up. It's like full adrenaline when there's a big bluefin doing a busting. But I look at it as like, don't get me wrong. I get frustrated when someone does something that loses the fish. Not. Because I'm worried about like a score or anything like that. I just want to see everybody be successful. Mm. It really bums me out when I'm like, oh, I wish he didn't do that because we could at least have, especially when we're struggling, when we're having a slow day and someone does a donkey move and and loses a fish. But this is why they're out there. They don't know how to do this stuff. So they're learning from us. They're going to learn from that experience. And I sometimes I forget that even myself, but we have to keep coaching these people 
And hell, I still make mistakes. I Dude, lose Bubba Blades every freaking year. People are so I still lose them. People know? are paying $500 to go have a good time and learn something. Like, there's no reason to be yelling and screaming yeah. at customers who are just trying to do the right thing. Obviously, nobody wants to lose a fish. You know what? Uh. And my thing is, too, if somebody's doing something like silly, shame on me for not teaching them. Absolutely. But and I will say, if I teach you three times and you still mess yeah. it up, then I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not a teacher at that point anymore. Yeah. I'm not contractually obligated to do this for you I think like I do in my I nine to five. Fine, women are the best. Best. By far. The women and kids. The women best. and kids. Because they, they, you know, especially if they haven't done it before, um, they're learning for the first time. And when you tell them something like, hey, this is what you need to do with the reel, when the fish starts running, count five seconds and then hit this button or start reeling or set the hook or whatever, or don't set the hook. I love these guys that are real big into freshwater fishing and they set the hook on circle hooks. Um, uh, who are good, the worst? They're the worst. They're the worst. On my boat. The tournament bass guys that are badass freshwater guys. Yep. Not saying they're bad fishermen, no, but they no, have no. a they, real hard time. They could be badass with uh, freshwater stuff, fish, yeah. but they struggle with that whole. Ah, and they go, I know I did it. And he goes, I did it again. I'm like, You've been doing it all day. Yeah, but even when we throw, <laughs> pl- whenever we throw plugs like spooks and sluggos, they, they kill it. They don't, well, they, they do good work in it, but yeah. they miss a lot of hookups because they don't give it that little half second pause and yes. let the fish eat it. They're just trying to right away just rip yeah. it out. You know, they're telling me they use, like, 60-pound braid on their spinning reels for bass. They're like, what's this? I'm like, 20? Yeah. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like, what what are you using 60 for? What kind of bass you guys get in there in Georgetown? (laughs) But I find, you know, I – but, like, now I've built up a clientele just like you have, Chris. You know there's certain anglers where you're like, okay – we're going to go do this t- style of fishing where we're hunting for fish or we're doing this and it's not necessarily a guarantee. And you know that there's certain anglers that will tolerate that because they want to have that risk versus reward. Absolutely. Every day is different. Every day is different. And Every then you got, you got to do cookie cutter trips when you got mm-hmm. kids because you want to make sure you mm-hmm. bend the rod. Yeah, if it works out well that you catch a whole bunch of schoolies. Then you can shift over to trying to target those big fish. Yeah, like kids, man, bend the rods. Kids and new people, just yeah. bend rods. Bend rods a little bit and then maybe spend that extra hour trying to, you know, target that big fish. Or, you you know, that's with the network. We talk about that um, a lot. And um, with other anglers, it's the network you bring uh, is that, you know, I can call Chris and say, hey, I'm doing this. And he's like, okay, then I'm going to go do this. We rarely start off in the same spots. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, obviously, there's just sometimes it's just fire, like the mouth of the Merrimack's kicking ass this week. Well, we're all going to probably start there. But you'll see someone trickle off and try something different. And those are the guys that might find the next bite. And and then you start working with those people and telling them, hey, I know you tried that spot. It's still working here in the mouth. And then you kind of you share that information. But it's also, what do you bring to the table? Like, are you going to tell them where bait is? Or, hey, I'm run, I'm done my charter. I have 15 live mackerel. Do you want them? You know, giving giving back to that, that relationship. It can't be a one-way street. It can't be a one-way street. You have to continue to share um, either information with people that have, you know, shown their, their trust. Especially if you tell them specifically, like, hey— this is between me and you. I don't want to have a hundred people here. Mm-hmm. Guarantee you, if fishing's good, 
and you're you know a notable captain, they're gonna see you, and they're eventually they're gonna be up your up up your butt. You might get an extra day or two if you can keep it real real quiet. Two days, you get your yeah. first day to yourself, the second day to go back, by the third day, you everybody know. knows. Well, you know, at least at that point. Oh, by day, the fourth day, the fish are gone. So. Yeah, that too. I mean, that's the other thing. Uh, sometimes, like all the little the little tiny things off the main stuff that you pretty much do. You know, you got your program. You get your kind of program of your main things, your main bodies of fish of where you think they're going to be, and you hit it. And then I actually find some of my best spots during times when fishing sucks because I'm just like, I got to spend the time and go check something else out. And sometimes you can live on that. You put it in your logbook, and then moving forward, you get those conditions again. Sure shit, a lot of times it's still there, you know? Mm -hmm. And you find these little pockets of fish in little small spots, and it's good stuff. I think um, that's one of my takeaways uh, from the last couple of years is doing better on logging um there's some electronic apps or, or different apps out there that help you with that logging process on meltonmerrimack.com if you're a member you get a free pdf to the template of a beautiful beautiful fishing yep, log. fish log awesome i'll show it i don't think you've seen the app. so it to that's that's important too because you know i've learned so much about water temperature at certain spots of the river, whether it's the upriver bite, the downriver, the Joppa bite, the mouth, it's like temperature, timing. Beachfront was a big temperature thing a couple of years yes. ago. That was the big factor every day, yep. temperature on the beach. Yep. And like, you know, this year we got bluefish. Mm -hmm. So like I got to scratch my head and think about like if they come back, I want to be <laughs> – I was hardly prepared for that. No, it's in 20 boats got to go in 20 different directions until they find you them, know, it seemed like, this year. All my but crap was, nice was at home for bluefish, and I'm like, I don't know. I guess we're going to see what this uh, – <laughs> like I threw this giant like – plug that was like rusted you know hooks and stuff and it was working it'll work it, it did they i think they like tetanus um <laughs> but yeah i mean um finally you know the next day i went back and grabbed all my old grandpa's plugs and stuff like that and you know getting back to that that's that's one of those things that he passed uh about 10 years ago and uh it's one of those things where i always wish he got to see me doing what i do because he would have got a real big kick out of it yeah and he, you know he taught me a lot we got to fish up in northern Vermont, um, yeah, little or Island Pond, and uh, some rivers up there, and it was just those memories are really, really important to me. And then to have this all going the way that it did for me, he would have got a real big kick out of this. I mean, he still would have talked shit about how he's better than me, but you know, that's that's a good fisherman. Yeah, that's, that's what he's there for. <laughs> you know, nothing wrong with a little healthy competition and some yeah. shit talking. Yeah. Hey man, we're well, we're in an hour forty minutes here. Oh, awesome, dude, uh, John. Thank you. We're going to do it again. Awesome. Thank uh, you, guys. Cool. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So if anyone wants to book a charter with John, it's Parker's Charters. You can check, check him out on Facebook. Phone number one more time. 781-858-0219. Uh, All right. You can give him a call, and he will set you up. He's willing to do the work and put you on the fish, whether it be inshore, sharking, or uh, haddock fishing. He can do it all. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, John. Thanks, Thanks guys. John. Bye.